Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and we're trying me recording the intro to see if it's any different. Uh, and we have a little fun show for you today. Zito Madu, SBNation.com, Snapchatter, video uh, writer extraordinaire, joins the show. We talk about Kevin Durant's injury. We talk about Joel Embiid and let Ben mourn a little bit. Uh, as you saw in the Twitter feed, he was very, he was really sad that he couldn't mourn yesterday. Uh, and we talk a little bit about the MVP race. I think Zito has a few things he wants to get off his chest with Russell Westbrook. But before you do anything, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave us a nice little review. Uh, we really appreciate the feedback, as you've seen. Stuff like the theme song, stuff like the logo. We change these things based on your feedback. So let us know things we're doing well, things we want to see a little bit different. And keep the reviews nice and five stars if you like it. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow us uh, on all these little platforms. You can always email me questions at MikePreda at SBNation.com. We'll talk about it on the show. But sit back, wait, and enjoy this limited upside podcast with Zito Matter. Welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. We are uh, proud to have Zito Madu back on the podcast. I think it's like his fourth or fifth time joining us. Mike, as always, is on the other line. I'm in my tiny closet here in Brooklyn. I'm about to fly to Vegas, and I'm excited about that. But before I go to Vegas and make bets on who the favorites are, or the favorite to win the NBA championship this year, I think we should probably talk about what happened this past week to the favorite I guess in Vegas money line, which was the Warriors, and that was they lost Kevin Durant. So I want to start with Zito, and I want to know, how much trouble are the Warriors in? Does this actually change their chances of winning the NBA title? And then maybe Prada has a different opinion, but I'd love for you guys to kind of enlighten me about what the impact of KD's injury is for the Warriors' prospects. Well, I don't think there's any other team in the West that has three all-stars on their roster that are as good as Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. So, I mean, losing KD is like, it's a really big thing because he turns them into this unstoppable machine and whatnot. But they're still the Warriors and they still have Steve Kerr and they still have like <laughs> the best two shooters <laughs> to ever play the game. So it just means that Steph and Clay are going to do more heavy lifting, which I'm pretty sure that they're going to be able to handle against the rest of the teams in the NBA that are not named the Cavaliers. <laughs> so until I don't think like it depends on when he comes back. Right. Because if mm. he comes back and he's still very rusty and they get to the finals and he's still struggling, then sure. Then we can start worrying the first few games of him just being bad. But if he recovers before like the major games, if he recovers before like the second round, I think, I think they'll be all right. Isn't this kind of familiar isn't this kind of the same thing i mean it's a worse injury but it's uh the same idea of well he's gonna be out this long but like is he gonna be himself when he comes back that sounds kind of familiar um it's not a great omen for the warriors and it's gonna be interesting to see if they don't win the title like how we talk about uh that run which is do we try to i don't do we say that like step just like step like katie wasn't 100 percent, so it wasn't a real title for whoever wins it That'll be interesting. Well, that's just like one slice of the narrative. I mean, we can dissect this for a while here, right? Let's let's start with just kind of what Zito said, which is that the principles of the 73-win team, and not just the principles, basically everybody except for Bogut and Harrison Barnes, um, are back. The 73-win team from last year that, you know, lost in 3-1 in the finals, et cetera. But so <laughs> you gonna, already wait, have – Hold up. I'm going to contest <laughs> yeah. you a little bit on this because I think – I think Barbosa? You going to go with Barbosa? You don't have – okay. You don't have Harrison Barnes anymore, and that's uh, – I know he had a rough finals, but, you know, that's a big loss. Andre Iguodala is not what he was during the regular season last year. He frankly hasn't been the same guy since he had that back problem in the finals. You don't okay. have Bogut anymore. You Zaza is not as good as Bogut – was at his peak. I know Bogut has been terrible this year, and I know Bogut had his problems last year, but I don't think that's an upgrade. You he don't didn't play have, the finals either. He was injured. Yeah, well, by the end, yes. And you don't have Fastest Azili anymore. Now you have JaVale McGee, who's played well, but like that's gonna that's got to make you nervous, counting on him for big minutes okay. in the playoffs. You no longer have guys like Barbosa. A lot of your guys are older, so... Um, and you're still trying to integrate them. I mean, you're gonna they're gonna have to count on guys like Matt Barnes, David West. I mean, these are guys that are not spring chickens. And if they don't count on those folks, they got to count on young players like James McAdoo, uh, Patrick McCaw, 
uh, players like that. I mean, I don't think they're I, – I know the, the key pieces are there, and there's a long way to fall. They have a lot of cushion, but I don't – I would contest that they are the same team now that they were last year. Well, well let me just say the pr- – the principles part, I guess, is maybe where I should have stopped that that comment. Maybe not with a supporting okay. cast. But I think what Zito said about still having three of the best players in the game on the court for you at the same time is still an overwhelming advantage. And maybe you don't have the fourth one of the best players in the NBA on the court at the same time. But I'm mean, just watching the Sixers-Warriors game the other night. Steph was 0 for 11 from three-point land, and Durant didn't have a particularly strong game. And it wasn't like a very competitive game, ultimately. Because they just the flow of the game, you mentioned Steve Kerr, Zito, and I think that's a big point, too. They're a really, really strong team that runs like a well-oiled machine, an actual well-oiled machine, not a, a fake one. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and and so, so I think there's like this cause to panic for the other 29 teams in the NBA uh, who would have potentially have lost someone like Durant. But I'm not necessarily sure this is a team who's going to panic. And I also, and this is where I want to get both of your opinions, Zito, yours, yours first here. Um, but I I'm not sure it really mattered that much for even uh, um, the the Spurs or Rockets theoretical matchup, which I'm sure you guys would say are probably the two closest competitors. You mentioned it was just the Cavs who this would potentially hurt them with. Do you see there being any, I don't know, ill effects here if per se they were to play against like a Kawhi or a James Harden or some one of these matchups where a Durant would have been specifically important? Well, I think if they play against the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard decides to or Pop decides to ruin everything and play Kawhi Leonard on uh, Steph Curry, then we might have a really, really interesting battle there because I know last year Steph turned him inside out <laughs> during one of the <laughs> early matchups. And the year before that, he like locked them down the entire game. So it depends on that how that works out because if you take away Steph Curry, you don't have Durant, and then it's just down to Klay Thompson and Draymond. You're, you're banking on Draymond having one of his like really good offensive games. Right. And if he doesn't have that, then I think the Spurs will be able to do it. And when it comes to the Rockets, the Rockets aren't going to start defending anytime soon <laughs> or like, <laughs> play any real defense that could stop the Warriors. So it will be it will be a shootout. And I'm always going to take yep. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, even though like the Rockets have the most made threes this season, I think. But it's when you get into a shootout with the original like Splash Brothers, I don't I don't think you're going to win that. So. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see him try. I love that Houston is just like, you know what, screw it. Like, forget <laughs> defense. We're just getting all the gunslingers. And yeah. I, I think the big problem actually will come at the other end. You know, Durant huh. has been a terrific defender this year. Uh, when you talk about his on-ball defense, but also his help defense, his, he's leading the team in rebounding and block shots. You know, he's one of the best rim protectors in the league. So it's going to be a lot harder for them to play small now. And that's their advantage you know who's they're gonna have to play Matt Barnes in that spot and you're just giving away so much basket protection and you know perimeter defense to do that and of course the scoring but like right. forget like who guards Steph and whatever how do you stop Kawhi Leonard uh mm-hmm. and James Harden now and how do you stop what you've lost now I think is a little bit of the trump card of going small but playing big like when the Warriors are in full flight they remind me of those old heat teams where just they fly around and they protect the basket with so many people and it feels like there are eight defenders on the court in that small lineup you don't have that as easily without Durant and so I think that might hurt you know because now the Spurs can play a little more traditionally uh against them and now Houston it's going to be harder to stop them with their ability to shoot so I mean that to me is a bigger problem I don't think Durant will be out long enough for it to matter but I mean that would be the concern more so if I were Golden State than offense like they're going to score points I think the question if you look at how some of these splits work out defensively with two or three of the big three and not Durant that's where there's a real drop-off yeah, I'd have to see like the 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 per 100s or whatever. Like I don't have those stats in front of me for the best defensive five, but it, I completely agree with Durant's effect defensively and and what it means to have guys like Draymond and Durant being able to protect the rim and also guard, you know, point guards on pick and rolls at the perimeter. Um obviously that flexibility is going to hurt. Interesting point Zito made uh earlier too, which was this just means more shots for guys who currently need to shoot themselves out of well, specifically Curry, he's been in a funk lately. And I want to get both your thoughts on this. Prada, specifically, you watched him play against the Wizards uh, earlier this week. I watched him play against the Sixers the night before where he was 0 for 11. He shot terribly against the Wizards also. Is there anything we should be currently concerned about with Steph now having to take on a larger role as he is finding himself in one of the first real shooting lulls of his career? Uh, I think it's just a slump. 
But okay. it is interesting that Steph has not been MVP Steph. I mean, if Steph has only been really, really good, if he can't get back to that, it's obviously going to be a problem for the Warriors. I mean, that in a fundamental way is sort of the difference. I don't really know what they need to do differently, though. I think he just has to make more shots. I don't really see – they've gotten away from him being off the ball all the time, which was sort of a problem early in the season. He just has to convert. You know, that's really what it is, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. it's such an odd thing to think about. Steph Curry has to convert, right? <laughs> and when, even when I watched him against the what was it the Lakers where he missed ten shots in a row or ten three pointers and he didn't score one, and I was watching it, and every time he took a shot, I was like, oh, this is definitely going in, and it just didn't. Like he's one of those players that no matter where he shoots from or how he shoots, it's just like okay, this has like an eighty percent chance of going in. But yeah. now it's it's weird watching him struggle like this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, th- I think there might be a cumulative effect. This this speaks to, um, and you know, before we got on the podcast, we mentioned how like LeBron is ang- angling to go to what his seventh straight NBA Finals, so mm-hmm. working on a full decade in a row. Uh, part of that speaks to how the condition he keeps himself in, his conditioning, I should say, uh, his physical attributes that allow for him to play such amazing amounts of basketball, 82 games or, you know, whatever, 75 a season, and then an additional, you know, 30 or whatever he's been playing each postseason, or 25 each postseason. And so we kind of take for granted the type of stress that puts on the body and maybe someone whose body, and again, using that word stress has been, you know, uh, um, uh, compromised by that in the beginning, his beginning of his career, maybe it is starting to catch up slightly at this point. Maybe it's one of those things where you see uh, a sophomore in the NBA who goes through like his, his second year slump in the middle of the year. Maybe you're seeing some of that cumulative physicality and, and wear and tear on Steph shooting right now. Maybe the legs are a little gone. Maybe he's a little in his own head, stuff like that. But I do think that uh, I do think that the exact thing you said, Zito, when he shoots the ball in the game where he was over eleven three against the Sixers, <laughs> I still looks. thought every one of them they were great looks. He had like <laughs> four. He had four shots that he missed specifically where he had no one on him, where he was able to take a dribble, look down at the line, square his feet, and shoot and missed. And so yeah. those are like eighty percent three points shots for him, and it's, it's pretty amazing more. he missed it's them. Not yeah, more. Exactly. well, your point exactly. about the cumulative effect is interesting. You know, first of all, he's coming off an injury. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had to rehab, but also that that makes that's an interesting parallel to what Durant's going through. So the exact timetable the Warriors put out was four weeks and reevaluated. But grade two MCL sprains generally take longer. And I, I remember the case of last year. You'll recall Rudy Gobert had a sprained MCL midway through the year. I think he returned in like five or six weeks, but he was never really the same player. He wasn't. That was. The way he's playing right now, I think we all expected him to play that way last year, and he just wasn't healthy. You know, even if Durant comes back in five or six weeks, like, are we sure? Like that, are we sure that he's going to be the same guy? Mm-hmm. Well, I love I love the timelines, right? Because this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> I love, well, I love when they're they give a timeline for an injury, and a lot of fans expect that once that once the player comes back, that the player is just fully healed. Where the timeline is just more like, okay, this is when he's going to be physically healed. And a lot of a lot of injuries, like sprains like that, are just mental injuries after after like those four weeks. It's just, do you feel comfortable doing the same things that you used to do before? And no matter how mentally strong an athlete is, unless you're like super Adrian Peterson, you're, it's going to take <laughs> a while to get back to playing like that. And I remember I wrote something on D. Rose a couple of years ago. When he came back from his like his last major injury, and I was I wrote that D Rose is not the same player, but you have to give him like two years to like get used to his new body and how to you know how to do things and what he can't and can't do anymore. And it's like four weeks is just okay. The injury has healed, and then the, for for like however amount of time after that, and there, there's not a set time after that. It's just. Is he gonna? Is he gonna be comfortable? Like he's gonna just sit there trying to figure out what he's comfortable doing, and like if he has the confidence to do some of those things. So it's it's a very very ambiguous timeline for long injuries like that. Yeah, and then he's got to hope that Zaza doesn't flop into his knee again, and you never know about that. <laughs> yeah, trauma. <laughs> yeah, I, that whole part. Like I was I was like running on a treadmill or something when it happened, and I knew that they were playing the Wizards. So immediately, I text Prada and I'm like. 
is it bad? <laughs> you know, or whatever. And, and I think the second thing you texted me back was like, and I think Zaza flopped too. <laughs> so yeah. <it> was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Zaza was I think pretty incredulous when people presented that thought to him. I think he was like, well, I didn't, you think I tried to injure him? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's but, like, no, but okay, right? yeah, maybe, maybe if you had a little more balance. <laughs> I figured that Westbrook just like went to a witch doctor. <laughs> he said he's gonna get him back, and what's a better way than to like take out Durant and blame it on yeah. Zaza? Yeah. Well, there you go. It, it, also, do you remember the... that they fought earlier this year, Zaza and Russ? I mean, there's a little grudge there. Oh, yeah, he's trying true. to get him back. Uh, but yeah, on timetables, like I wonder if the four weeks and reevaluate uh, does a little bit of a disservice to Durant. It makes it feel like. You know, because these are tough, right? Every body is different. You never know how a body responds to an injury. You never know, even if it's grade two, like there's, it's almost like there are degrees. Is this like a grade two MCL or is it like a grade 1.7 or is it a grade 2.6? Like there are always degrees to it. But I almost wonder if four weeks and reevaluated and he's forced to either rush back or it pushes back and there's more angst like does that do a disservice to Durant instead of just saying you know what like this is prop most MCLs are six to eight weeks and you know we're gonna do six weeks and you know hopefully we'll get him back sooner I always wonder like what what you're supposed to say with that and how that affects the player well it does put a it does put a a timeline on the player right and Especially since the players are just like super warriors and they want to be out there and they want to play, like you, you have to stop them from themselves, right? When I got, when I had my worst injury, the the doctor said this is going to be six months. Within like four months, I was running and he didn't know it. And then <laughs> when I went back to my reevaluation, he was like, "What have you been doing?" I was like, "I don't know. Like maybe it's just not healing right." He's like, "I need you to sit still for like a month." So it's one of those things, once you say it's four weeks for him, after four weeks, he's going to want to play because that's what you've told him. And even though he's going to be playing, and even though it might not be fully healed, he's just going to try to play and he's going to come in the game. If they're in the playoffs and like he still doesn't feel well, he's still going to try to help out as much as possible. So for players, it's one of those things where you have to give them, you have to actually just save them from themselves. Otherwise, they're going to they're gonna keep going. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's I, true. I think they will. Like it's four weeks and reevaluate. It's not like four weeks. But the the thing I wonder more about is like the fan expectation and the fan angst. And yeah, that's sort of where you get like if there wasn't sort of this element to consider. Like, do you think that the warrior would say, "Yeah, he's out two months, and when he comes back in six weeks, then everybody will be happier"? Like, yeah. I, I feel like there's sort of an interesting expectation setting that goes on here. But also, like, the buffer of being in the West and knowing that the eight seed is a lot different than the seven seed this year. You know, you get a, a series against the Nuggets, you're not probably going to need someone like Durant in order to win in four or five games. So yeah, that, That's true, but they're, okay, so it's four games and they play the Spurs twice. If they lose those two Spurs games, then suddenly it gets a little more interesting. Yeah, then you get, like, Thunder or Memphis in the first round, and that's a whole different type of series mentally and physically I, I will say i like the indefinite tag for things like this especially when you know the regular season's probably not going to be enough it makes fans have less of a timeline uh it also keeps it ambiguous enough that if you want to put a real timeline eventually you can so i'd say that maybe that was a, a slight mistake in this but look um they had to rush out information on this because the MRI came, you know, hours later. The next day, information was starting to leak left and right about the the, the prognosis. So you you got to get ahead of stuff like this as an organization. You don't want to scare the fan base. You also don't want to be misleading towards teammates and stuff like that who, you know, a lot invested in Durant uh, for their team. I think the one thing here, guys, that, that maybe – I don't know. Maybe we're putting too much emphasis on and and, and glossing over, uh, you know, it is really just how good of a team they are and how an individual player in, in even in someone as good as Durant is just not the exact same emphasis of importance uh, as he would have been if this had happened last year for Oklahoma City. I mean, we saw the ramifications of a Durant list Oklahoma City team a few years ago from injury when, before they had prepared and built a team around Russ. And it was, you know, a catastrophe. That's not going to be the case here. They're already 50 and 10. They've already clinched a playoff spot, obviously. Uh, and, you know, they're three and a half up on the Spurs, but they do, as Mike said, have those two games. Other than that, there's relatively smooth sailing. So I think there are a lot of stress uh, stresses that are not going to come into play here that could have made this a significantly larger, uh, you know, boilerplate topic. If you I will. mean, if he's out for the year, that's obviously a bigger deal. But yeah, 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 year, for sure. The difference sure. between Steph at his peak and Steph and maybe 85% 
cost him a championship. True. So I That's think true. I think it's still a, a point. Now it's funny you mentioned the indefinite timetable. I'm a little surprised <laughs> uh, about that because isn't that what you're upset about with the Sixers? <laughs> uh, well, no, we don't get in. We get indefinite occasionally, but most of the time we just get incorrect timelines. We can segue <laughs> now. Like let's go from one injury to a ton of injuries. Um, sure. So the Sixers put an indefinite tag on, on Joel Embiid uh, pending the last MRI he had. The MRI came back. The tear in the meniscus was a little bit worse. The bone bruise had healed uh, or is healing fine. Um, and this is um, very similar to what happened to Joel Okafor last year at the end of the season. It was an indefinite tag. The meniscus tear ended up being something that needs surgical uh, repairing. And, it, you know, it ended up being a larger undertaking than they had initially let on. This brings me to my larger question. Zito, I'll ask you this first. What pisses you off more? You like hating on stuff. When a <laughs> uh, when a team is when a, an organization uh, as a training staff doesn't necessarily potentially uh, put the best foot forward with their players, or when the organization from the top down lies to the fan base about said injuries, what's actually the worst part of that? I I hate when they lie to the fan base about the yes. the timeline, right? Because I don't know because it keeps the it keeps the fan base on the edge about everything. Yeah. It, like, it like puts this expectant air that he might return this season when you could just say like, hey, this is just not going to happen. <laughs> and then everybody can move on with their lives. So now, like when you put that, when you leave it very ambiguous, every every injury report is like, OK, is he OK? What's going on? Like everybody just is in a no. And I'm a very curious person. And I know a lot of people are very curious. I was like, you're checking every single thing to see if there's like an update or Oh, anything man. so like everything just takes an ominous air for no reason at all so yeah. it's like just be clear just be honest it's not gonna kill anybody i mean wait Seriously. hold up aren't you guys contradicting yourselves though because ben you said earlier with the durant discussion it's better not to assign a timetable yeah because they have the playoffs ahead of them that's the biggest difference here is that the warriors didn't need to because they have an indefinite in theory not indefinite i mean i guess like it's term it's terminal it ends in, yeah. in late june yeah, but, but if, if the warriors said Kevin Durant is out indefinitely. Don't you think this would have spurred the same hysteria among Warriors fan bases? Like, does that mean he's coming back? Is and if they say no, were they lying? You know, all of this. Like, uh, it's a different conversation. In, in my opinion, that conversation is that fan base says, "Good, give them enough time. We're fifty and ten. We're still going to be able to handle. Yeah. We think getting the number one seed, and and then we can evaluate him when he's ready to be the same contributor he was before he got hurt. The Sixers is we've gotten thirty-one games from a potential world-class superstar over. Over the course of three years, and we have to evaluate that on a contractual level moving forward. And it'd be nice as a fan base who's been unbelievably accepting and open. And that's impossible to say for any other Philadelphia fan base in my lifetime. I'm 30. They've been open and accepting with being bad as long as you're being honest. When Hinky said we are going to tank, and I mean, without saying tank, when he said we're going to you know be <laughs> as bad as possible. Trust the process, exactly. <laughs> people, people trusted that. Just the first word there, the word trust. And uh, that's something that I think is is, is uh, badly missing with the Colangelos. And I know that the fan base in general feels this, this mistrust now is something where no matter what they tell you, how can you really take it? I mean, we were told Nerlens had elective knee surgery earlier in the year. We were told that over the offseason that Okafor's surgery was a success, but then he came back to limited minutes and missed the beginning of the year. You know, every single one of the injuries, even Bayless's wrist has been mismanaged. I mean, we're talking about guys that are just lying about yeah. things that aren't even important. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's fine. I guess he would have played this this season. But uh, yeah, like even small things, it's just like, just be honest. And, and, and more so, like, be honest about this particular guy. Be honest about Joel Embiid. All right. Devil's advocate. Um, yeah. Yeah. What would you let's say? Take me from the moment that Embiid first had knee pain to now. Like, how would you have handled it? What you would you have said? Yeah, I was at his last game of the season. So the last game he played was against Houston. It was after he had missed the two previous games because of the hyperextension of the knee. And he came back to play a Friday night nationally televised game. Uh, and it was a great game. He played awesome. And Harden had his you know 50-point triple-double in that game. But um, before that, we were both, my friend and I, who went, I went to the game with, we were totally fine if Embiid wasn't going to play. Because just like, and, and again, the only time I've ever seen him in person was uh, and live in a game was that game. But I was okay with it. Um, and mostly because when we saw the hyperextension, my first thought was like, that's a massive knee to hyperextend. And there's a lot of little things that <laughs> right. happen. So what in, would you in a done, if you're Brian Colangelo, what would you have done and said over the next month? 
he, he could have gotten away with it very easily. We, we just, we know what we've gotten, Joel. It's a very special young man. We cannot chance the, his future, the future of this organization, which we put pretty squarely on his shoulders. Uh, same thing with Simmons, by the way. You could use the same type of logical or argument here. You know, so we can't chance this. We're going to take everything in our ability to make sure that coming into the 2018 season, we have a chance to compete for and then say it. Say, like, a home advantage in the playoffs, like really reach for it, make the fan base feel optimistic. Everybody would have laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, but but like you know what, shoot shoot for the stars, Mike. Shoot for the stars, and like and and it's like not that serious. So like that's kind of like self deprecating too, but also like shows that you are fully acknowledging the present, which is it, it doesn't make any sense to try to squeak into getting the twelfth pick in the draft this year so that Joel Embiid can irrevocably destroy his left knee on the same leg that or you know on the legs I should say that have been a big issue. So. I think the point I'm trying to make is he has like one of the most malleable fan bases for honesty right now. And he decided to lie to them. And that that's a big problem. So what you would have done was as he first suffered the injury, just say we are shutting him down until he feels healthy again. And that's it. We're getting independent doctors to come in because I know that that's a big part of this issue is the distrust with our I mean, look, this happens in multiple teams. Portland Trailblazers went through this. Sometimes you got to get a new training uh, team in because the practices aren't working. And, and we've gone independently to, you know, well, there, there's trainers, or whatever. and then there's, you know, the doctors that have to diagnose. What, yeah. Or those trainers maybe have called. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think. um I, I am sympathetic to this more a little bit with the Simmons thing because he literally said he was – there were reports he was coming back. He was optimistic. It was only until the very end that he was just like, oh, actually, he had a setback a while ago and we didn't tell you. The Embiid thing I think is a little trickier because it turns out – I think the only thing you can really blame them for is playing him in that Houston game. But other than yeah. that, you know – Practicing and, and like he's been on his leg playing. I mean – Yeah, I, but you know, you know this. Like you can't keep a guy – off their legs all the time. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You saw him. You saw him at stage dancing. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which they got mad at. <laughs> that makes it even worse because at that point I was okay with that because it was like it's all. It's all right. He's fine. It's bone bruise. <laughs> that's like, nah. It's a little minor tear that got worse in his meniscus. Well, it depends um, if he knew too, right? Did true. he know that it was a tear in his meniscus or n- not just a bone bruise? Yeah, they they diagnosed him originally with uh, I believe it's like called an acute meniscus tear. So it's it's the kind that is not like um, exacerbated by like weight bearing or movement, but it's sort of like um, a lot of times it's non surgical uh, in how oh, you repair yeah. it. But it's a different rehab for that than it is for the bone bruise. So when your yeah. team is focusing on fixing, you know, injury A, but realistically injury B is the thing that's got you know <laughs> much more long term significance. That's an incorrect decision right then and there. And yeah. just as an organization, our history now with rehabbing big men's knees over the course of the last three years <laughs> is horrible. So, yeah. I mean, it's a I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure once they told him that it doesn't, weight bearing won't make it worse, he just said, all right, fuck it. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and good for him. Stage. So, all right, well, setting aside the subterfuge of this and the frustration, like we are in a situation where he's played 12% of their games over three years. He's owed a contract extension. He's not the only top player injured. So I'm, I want to like kind of – I think this is a good time to bring up again. Like was this all process all worth it? And, you know, what do we do now? Like Zito, what do you – are you – do you think this affects uh, the entire plan and how we think of it? You know, in retrospect, like now that he has played so little games, now that he um, – some of the other guys have not played, now that this sort of has not borne – fruit yet you know now that we're still kind of kicking this can down the road you know does this where do we stand now on like kind of where the franchise is well i think what i love about what i love about this entire thing is that it points to a big big hidden aspect of sports that people just do not want to talk about or people just don't ever acknowledge because it's not something that you have control over it's just pure luck (laughs) sometimes you just get lucky and sometimes you have like the worst injury luck possible so, I mean, you see Embiid in the draft. You're going to take a player like him, just like you saw Greg uh, Greg Oden. And it's like, how do you not pick this player? Yep. But then all, all of a sudden, it's just like injuries build up. And even Steph Curry, right? You pick Steph Curry. His ankle for the first three years is just like paper mache. And you can't <laughs> do anything about it. So I think, you know, they had the right plan of just like, okay, we're just going to pick the best player in the draft available, whatnot. But then you have to always factor in like, 
Well, you can't really factor that in. You can't factor in which player is going to get injured and how long the injuries are going to last. You could factor in Embiid. He had an injury history. Yeah. Lower you, back. You yeah. didn't know this is going to be. Yeah, it's a well, lower back. He had a stress fracture in his like, foot when they drafted him. So it's not like. It's not like. Yeah, but. They, this was within the realm of possibility that he played this little. Yeah, that's true. But the, the the college injury, the thing that initially made it so he wasn't going to be the, the clear number one pick in the draft was a stress mm-hmm. fracture in his lower yeah. back. No, it was it was the foot injury during the workout. He was the number one pick until the stress fracture. Yeah, but he missed the the last part of his no, I know. Uh, he freshman still season for a lower one. back injury. He still would have gotten number one if it wasn't for the stress fracture in the foot. Yeah, yeah, in the in the foot. I'm saying like his history of injuries. The foot is the NBA injury. The lower back was no, the college I, injury. I disagree. The the foot is <laughs> the injury that happened leading up to the. Like you're if if you're he saying the lower back was yeah, but you're saying if the lower back injury is a college injury, then the NBA teams didn't know about the foot when they drafted him, and that's not true. Like they no no, no that's true. You're right on that on that account. Like the NBA teams for sure, that's a bit a massive reason why he went from one to three. But the the reason why there was a small sample size in college, which is like very akin now to why there's a small sample size in the NBA, is his body in general and stress-related injuries and and wear and tear and and things like the meniscus could have been there the whole time. That's another thing we haven't even mentioned, yeah. but they, they have said that like that could be something he's just been playing with and through that was exacerbated by the you know compensation of the bone bruise. And now all of a sudden, like it was something that they had to, to really look at. But my yeah, I mean you're right. The stress fracture in the foot is what scared people away originally and made him miss his first couple years of, of the NBA. And, and I'm, I'm honestly thankful that the lower back is something we're not talking about anymore because with for big now. Mats, for now. That's <laughs> a, it's not related, right? The body yeah, is the body. Like, it just it compensates, is. right? Like yeah. one, one place hurts, so the other part compensates and that place hurts. Yep. And then it just all breaks down. <laughs> yeah. and, and then you tear your Achilles. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> yeah, right? And seriously. So, so here's my – so, Ben, what do you do now if you're the Sixers? Like you have, you're staring this situation in the face. You, you can't give him an extension this summer, can you? I mean, that I would assume is off the table unless he takes way below market value. You've got uh, your 2014 first round pick pouting. Did you see that play the other night God, with the uh, yeah. <laughs> play? That was pretty pathetic. You have your 2006, 15 or 16 number one pick uh, coming off a broken foot, and that was yep. a freak injury. Obviously, you can't blame for that. Uh, you yeah. came down on somebody in practice. You have all that. You have all these picks in the future, but you know you have decisions coming up, and you don't know exactly what your team is like. What I mean, if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm like starting to waver a little bit on this whole thing. But are you the same way? Um, no, I'm not wavering on it per se. But I, I, I I'll answer your first question first. I don't think you extend him this summer. Just too many question marks, and like realistically, financially, you can't invest. Anybody, no team in the NBA, the worst team, the the Sacramento Kings wouldn't uh, invest in uh, in in Embiid right now because the sample size itself. But um, I'll say this, man, it does help his, you know, the argument to to uh, to give him that money right away when you see the type of effort that Okafor put forth last night and just the way he's been playing, just who he is as a basketball player. And I think the one thing that maybe dissuaded me from the process in the last couple of weeks, obviously, was the Noel trade. In the face <laughs> of keeping Okafor, uh, and then watching you know Okafor responding by you know having one good game against the Knicks, and then the last two games has been un- unplayable. I mean his his Warriors performance was basically a microcosm, or I should say that play against the Heat, Mike, you were referring to, was a microcosm of the entire 17 minutes he played against the Warriors, where he had seven turnovers and five fouls. Um, so I mean it's like the NBA isn't right for Jalil Okafor's game, but the process in general. To get back to the full, like the holistic vision of the team, uh, you know, I, the way that things have just shaken down with Magic taking over the Lakers, them not looking like a contender for another few years uh, at all, uh, or even close to it, if that. Um, wow. And then the, Paul George. wow, what if they wow. get yeah, I mean, George? Jesus. The Lakers, the Lakers are still terrible. There I mean, is no need for this. I'm sorry, man, but like <laughs> as a Sixers fan, I watch the Lakers in college basketball because of the process. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 all one and the same. And, we have and some good players. Yeah, yeah. No, and the Lakers are. And what Look, if they the get Lakers Paul George? Are, what if they get Paul George? That changes a hell of a lot, doesn't it? They become what? Like then we get maybe like the tenth or eleventh pick next year instead of a top pick in the draft next year. Oh wow, that's a big difference. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> that's it, a really big a, difference. It is. It is. I know, <laughs> and that'll be frustrating. I, the Paul George thing we talked about last podcast. I hate that he's pushing himself there. Go, go play somewhere else, Paul. Stay no, in. no, he's coming to where he belongs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like, look, the the Simmons thing. 
isn't big issue for the specific reason of the draft this year is, is obviously a very point guard heavy draft. We'll be selecting uh, likely around where one of the three main point guards or, or, or highly touted point guards will be selected. And you got, it would have been really nice to know what Simmons, the NBA point guard looks like before you go into a NBA point guard, heavy draft. Um, <laughs> that's frustrating, but that speaks to like, it would have been great to know what we had in, uh, in Nerlens before we drafted Okafor. It would have been great to know what we had, you know, in Okafor or in Bina, <laughs> before we drafted Okafor. And like this <laughs> repetition is starting to be what frustrates me, but my heart is still in it. I'm too pot committed at this point to pull out. And and I'll say this, like, Zito, I still don't know what's a worse situation or a more laughable or frustrating situation, the Lakers or the Sixers, but we are competing neck and neck at all times. Yeah, I wonder at what point do you still start thinking that you're cursed? Because <laughs> if all the first round picks that you drive just get injured or something happens to them, at some point it has to be like a bit a higher power just like not messing with you and not liking it. Sorry, Sixers. Not today. I mean, yeah. Like, well, when you when you pick it when you pick a bunch of injured dudes in the draft, you some sort of bring it around <laughs> on yourself a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah. New Orleans was off an ACL, and and uh, obviously Embiid <laughs> had his issue, and and Ogafor was supposed to be healthy, and and Simmons had never had a, even an ankle sprain. He said in his whole life, and then he comes in and obviously does more than that to his ankle. Well, but all right, all right. Sixers, you know, it's a culture of injuries. Like, yeah. You're gonna have to be part of the team. It's true. <laughs> But all right, enough of these guys who are going to be MVPs down the road, like Simmons. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I want to segue to uh, to get Zito has a whole thesis here, and it's one of the main reasons we want to have you on right now. After Russ has been exploding and KD was injured, uh, and and obviously Steph's been slumping, LeBron still himself. I want to get your MVP currently, and give me like your thesis on this award because I know you've been looking at this uh, pretty uh, pretty closely this whole season. So talk me through your thought process, Zito, on the MVP 2017. Okay, so I always get into these little Twitter arguments that I shouldn't get into with random people who are, you know, advocating for other MVPs that are not Russell Westbrook. (laughs) You you have the James Harden, you have the Kawhi Leonard, you have the Kevin Durant. And I'll always come back to this main central point if people... Like we'll be arguing, and then somebody will say, "Like you're only cheering for him because he has he's averaging a triple double," and I'm just like, "Yes." <laughs> like, <laughs> All right. like just imagine. I know, like I know, it's a triple double, but just imagine that point that he is the second player ever in league history that's averaging a triple double in a season, and he's first in points, and he's like top five in assists, and he's. <laughs> he's averaging a triple double. It's like eight in rebounds or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's absurd. That's just the the concept of it is absurd. That this player is the only the second player ever in the history of the league that had Michael Jordan, that had LeBron James, that has like Jason Kidd, that had all of these players, and he's averaging a triple double. All right, here's my problem <laughs> with that logic. Okay. Uh, I forget what I saw. Is he has like I think he has like sixty free throw rebounds, right, or something like that. Like rebounds where he's just grabbing off missed free throw, nobody guarding him. That is the difference between him averaging like what? What is he averaging now? Like ten point four rebounds a game, and like nine point eight. And suddenly he's no longer averaging a triple double. He's only averaging nine point eight rebounds a game. Mike, All because Mike. of those rebounds. So why is the why is the defining characteristic that he's averaging a triple double? Like it doesn't okay, change anything about how he's playing that he doesn't grab those sixty free throw rebounds or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but just listen to what you said. Like he's not averaging ten before; he's averaging nine point eight rebounds. Right, but that's my point, though. Like his season is. Would people who say, "Well, you got to give it to the guy who's averaging a triple double," like does it change his season in any way? That he averages nine point eight rebounds per game instead of ten point four, and the answer for a lot of folks when you when your first thing you're citing for his brilliance is a triple double is implicitly yes. No, no. See the the whole he's averaging a triple double is like it, it's a simplification of just how absurd it is, right? Because that's all you need to say is like he's averaging a triple double. If he was averaging nine point eight rebounds, you could just easily say like look at his numbers, like that's absurd, and then you could just talk about why that's absurd, right? But you could just like. Whittle that, whittle that all the way down to he's averaging a triple double, which holds such weight because only one player's ever done it before. So it's if if he was averaging nine point eight rebounds, I'm still like give Russell Westbrook the MVP you because this is just. It. 
I feel like a lot of people wouldn't. No, because that's that's nonsensical. If you just if point two, if point two rebounds is the difference here, because like it's <laughs> it's the it's the whole notion of what he's doing, right? You this team just lost a former MVP, not just a former MVP, but one of the best players in the league, the top three best players in the league, who's yep. like on the Warriors and turned the Warriors into a death machine when they're already like a super great team. So you lose all of this. You lose Serge Ibaka. You lose, like, he's lost everything and got, what, Victor Oladipo and who else? I mean, they have, a decent, Gibson. they have a decent team. Like, they're not okay. – they don't have if, the team they had last year, but they have – I mean, now they have Taj Gibson. That's a good – he's pretty helpful. They have a lot of the same players they had last year. The team sort of makes sense when you consider the way Russ plays and the way they play. You know, they got a lot of big dudes to grab whatever shots he misses. They've got a lot of guys to screen for him. They have a tough defense. Like, I mean, I agree yeah. generally, but it's, I, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to suggest that, like, his team is total garbage. I mean, they're, No, they're... I'm not saying it's total garbage, but I, yeah. it's still a team that was built for him and KD, right? It's built for their right. individual brilliances. And yeah. you just take that big hole, not even just a regular hole. It's a huge, huge minus and he's like upped his game to at least try to compensate for that in a way that we've only seen once before. Yeah, I'll say this: I think there is more of a parallel to the Pistons late '80s, early you know, I guess 1990, but like yeah, '88, '87, '88, '89 uh, teams, the Bad Boys, because you do have a full team of guys who would get into a a brawl for anything Westbrook does on the court, even if it's his fault, they would, they would kill for him. Like you have a guy like Steven Adams, uh, um, you, you have your old depot next to you, whatever, but there's more of like a, a, a built hierarchy for them without, without uh Katie there that kind of gives you like the tip of the spear that Westbrook is. And then his like army behind him. And I, I, that, I only bring this up because that Utah game the other night where Westbrook took over and like the fever pitch that kind of culminated with his and one at the end, um, that won the game for them. Um, that that was like the intensity level of an NBA Finals Game 7, and it was just a regular season game in Oklahoma City because that's the level that they play with that he brings to the table. And I think kind of that intangible of the way that, just what you said, Zito, they lost the best player in franchise history. Mm. The guy who literally moved them from where they were in the Pacific Northwest to the middle, uh, you know, into the middle of our country in Oklahoma. They took that that was missing, and instead of having like a lull in 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 uh, in understanding who you are as a franchise, they moved seamlessly into this is who we are now, and, and come try us. And like, I think there's something to be said for that happening all in one season. Also, it's only what the second year that they've had Billy Donovan as coach, so we can't forget that that's kind of a new thing too. Still, um, and the first year that he's been having to work without having him Kim Durant there. So there's a lot still moving on. So I think I'm gonna give you some credit with that. I want to know though because I'm a, I'm assuming Mike, you have someone else in mind. If you think that Westbrook isn't the MVP, can you tell me who you think is then? I would probably. I'm leaning Harden over Westbrook for now, although okay. I think the case there is a little <laughs> is also interesting because their their bench can actually plays very well. But when you, I just think that Harden's a much more efficient scorer. Mm. Uh, he's a better. He's generating more assists. He's not getting the rebounds, but if you look at the stats, I mean, Russ's contested rebounds are about the same as Harden's and same rate. He's just grabbing all these uncontested ones and. I think to some degree uh, the team is sort of letting him. So mm -hmm. if you take away uh, – okay, we talked about taking away like 60 free throw rebounds. What if he's averaging only like 8.5 rebounds a game, right? <laughs> and you take away like some of the uh, rebounds that are sort of rolled out on the red carpet for him, right? He's still having a great season, but now the fact that he's not as efficient as a scorer, now the fact that he's – I don't think has been a better defender than Harden this year when you consider the effort that he – Logs, and now you consider also that the Rockets aren't exactly like a team that has all this talent around Harden, and right. yet they're a much better team. I think that tips the scales a little bit. You know, I, that's sort of my only problem with like the Russell Westbrook case is that it relies so much on these statistical oddities, whether yeah. it's ten point two rebounds or nine point eight rebounds, that. I think are sort of tilted condition wise to him in ways that it doesn't really. They don't really explain like the level of play he's produced i guess is what i'm saying now the case for westbrook is that his crunch time numbers are incredible this year and you've talked yeah. about that i mean that that has been really impressive and they haven't been in the past so i mean it's close that that's like where i start to wonder though about this slam dunk case i want i want you guys to finish this conversation i gotta go catch a flight to vegas this has been a lot of fun you guys continue mm -hmm. this 
Epstein's right. logging off. See you guys. All right. Okay, so I'll take <laughs> us out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Mike, this is all you now. Bye. Zito, thanks again, man. I'll see you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Later. I mean, so, I mean, that would be my concern. I don't know. Does that hold any water to you? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think the statistical oddities is just a way to appeal to people who regularly don't watch him, right? That's what the numbers are for. If you just want to put, hey, this player had a great game. You have 45 points, you know, 12 assists, 10 rebounds or whatnot. So I think it's just an easy way to just show how absurd he is. Like, hey, look, he's just having a very huge season and he's averaging the triple-double, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to talk about, like, the just the intricacies of his game and and uh, the argument that I got into was the one of the guys or that I was arguing with said that he has a high turnover rate, which I just thought was like a very absurd thing to point out about so somebody. It's, in so his, it's Harden. Yeah. But it's a, thing, a, a weird thing to point out with somebody that's in his situation. Right. What's the, what's who do teams plan for when they play the thunder? Well, Russell Westbrook, I mean, the turnover thing I think is a little silly too. I mean, yeah, it's like this is time you hold, handle the ball a lot. I mean, Harden also is really high in turnovers. <laughs> Yeah, like, and that just happens. You, that's that's what happens. The more you touch the ball, the higher chance it is to turn over, right? And I felt at that point people were just nitpicking on ways to like discredit him, right? Because it's it, he's he's really just having one of the best seasons we've ever seen in the NBA. And if you if you want to go James Harden and whatnot, and you make a, a solid argument for James Harden, like you just did, and I'm like, okay, this is a two way race. But at the same time, I will always come back to this team wasn't supposed to be that good. Like, they weren't predicted to be super bad, but they're not supposed to be doing what they are now. As Like, they're only they're only relevant in this conversation because Russell Westbrook decided that he was going to carry this team as much as physically possible. Yeah, but okay. All right. So, the Thunder... It's really hard to pin down like what everybody expected because you know that's a hard thing. But I would argue that the Rockets are more out of line expectation wise than the Thunder are. I mean, most people were saying the Thunder would be, you know, low playoff seed, about what they are, maybe a little worse. And I think most people thought the Rockets would be in that conversation too. But yeah. Houston is a lot better. So if you're talking just like relative to team expectations, don't you think Houston's got the edge there? I think Houston's built a lot better though to James Harden, like to James Harden's strengths, right? Because Houston just has a a ton of shooters now. Yeah, I mean, but Russell Westbrook isn't passing to shooters. He's just he's passing to Andre Robertson and Victor Oladipo. Yeah, but and now Enos Cantor's up. Don't you think that Oklahoma City also has like a team where if Russ is going to take all the shots, they got a bunch of dudes who can screen, who can rebound, who can kind of fight inside, like that take on his personality? Don't you think that inadvertently they build a team that's kind of Russ in an image, just like the Rockets build a team that's hardened in an image? Well, no, I, I think the I, I think we just talked about this that the Thunder were built for Russ and KD. Yeah, right? it's just like two man built two man game, whatever. It's, get us out of this hole that we're in. It was just, we have two of the best players in the league. We're just going to let them work, and then we're going to get solid pieces around them. Where if you go to if you go to the Rockets, it's like, okay, we have James Harden, and he's going to get us open looks, and he can shoot threes. Like, let's just, let's just have a bunch of shooters waiting on the wings and let them shoot as well. And they, they went and got Lou Will, and it fits perfectly along, alongside that. Yeah, okay, so you're saying that the Rockets is a little more conscious when you take it back to D'Antoni and Anderson yeah. and Gordon, whereas Oklahoma City was kind of already building the team in that image and they had no choice but to continue. Okay, I can buy that argument a little bit. You know, that, that makes a little bit of sense. You know, we're going to talk about this for a long time. You know? <laughs> I just, the only thing that just annoys me and it's not, is just the triple doubles argument because I just think it doesn't make any sense, you know, but, um, you're not making the triple doubles argument. You're just saying that that's like the idea that okay, most triple he's averaging a triple double, like most triple doubles since Oscar. Like case closed. Like to me, that just doesn't hold up logically at all. Because no, no, it's not a case closed. It's just like the beginning of the argument, right? Like let's just start here. He's averaging a triple double, and now let's talk about how his year has been. How like amazing this actually is beyond just the numbers. Yeah. I mean, is there anyone else you think should be in the conversation? Like, there's a little bit of a ground swelling about Kawhi, 
when you look at how good the Spurs are and how much he's done on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think the Kawhi thing is like the the underratedness, right? It's like because the James Harden and Russell Westbrook are getting the most shine. And, of course, the hipsters have to jump out of everywhere. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. how it is. It's like, let me pick let me pick somebody who's creditable, but, like, who nobody is really talking about. Let's go with Kawhi Leonard, right? Kawhi is the quiet. He's a, the best hipster pick possible because he's really, really good. And he's, like, the antithesis of, like, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Right? He's just yeah. this quiet. He's, he's perfect for so, the, so what's the case against him? There's no, there's not really a case against them except that it's the Spurs, right? Their Spurs are always going to be good, and Kawhi Leonard just adds to that. It's it's not as good of a story as the other two, right? And you can't you can't watch the NBA and think like, okay, stories don't matter. Stories play a huge part in sports overall, and Kawhi is just not. Like his situation, how well he's playing with Spurs and Pop is not as good as like Russell Westbrook going supernova with Billy Donovan and Andre Robinson on the wings, or like James Harden turning the Rockets into like the team that's gonna go kamikaze with the Warriors. <laughs> those are really good stories that people like. And those are better feats than I'm performing really well in a really well designed system with a really a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, I mean, it, I like that you're honest about how this is basically a story of the year award, the MVP. Yeah. And it's not real. Yeah, I mean, they may as well just call it that because that's sort of how we have. I mean, that's how it's always been. We yeah, gave I it mean, to that, their- That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what the award is. And it's not the best player, even though it's by definition the best player. That's uh, a conversation for another time. Um, all right. Just give it to LeBron every year, then, <laughs> then we can beat through this. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> We could do that. I mean, LeBron has a not bad case this year either. I'm just saying. Yeah. He always has a good case. You just get tired of it. Yeah. Well, remember when Mike Carmelo won the award over Jordan? I mean, that's a, <laughs> the ultimate season of the year award, uh, story of the year award thing. Uh, you got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. You're feeling okay about the Lakers? You're feeling okay about the I'm, Paul George I, stuff? I'm very good in my space of denying that the NBA is even a thin right now because the Lakers suck. If you haven't noticed, I, I'll pop in, I'll do some stories, and then I'll just completely tweet about other nonsensical things while NBA games are going on because I refuse to live in this world where the Lakers are so bad and so, so terrible. But if we get Paul George, I'm back on the bandwagon. Okay. Well, I think it sounds like he's going there, but it's just a matter of when. You just don't want to gut your team like Carmelo did. So, anyway, that is the show. Ben is gone. Uh, that was Zito Madu. Uh, I'm Mike Prada. Uh, enjoy uh, this episode and future episodes. Uh, until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Mm-hmm.